What's up, hybrids? Welcome back to another episode of the Fandom Hybrid Podcast. This is Hanako, and I am joined by everyone today. We got Lori back. Yay! Yay! And we are talking Cursed, episode four. So the show's getting a little bit more interesting. Um, I think after the initial what is this for episode one, we seem to be hitting a, a little bit of a stride with the episode. And this one, I felt like was a little bit more, gave us a little bit more background. We got to see a little bit more character development. We got to meet some new characters. And, um, oh, that's Sister Iris. Yeah, okay. All right. Let's start at the top. So the episode begins with Egraine, or as we now know her, Morgana, She's sitting in the wood and she's hitting herself with a rock upside her head. And when I looked at this episode, I was like, what in the world is she doing? Why is she, why is she doing this to herself? And then I had to think the end of the last episode, she helped Nimue escape. So I'm thinking she's probably trying to make it seem like she put up a fight, you know, trying to make it seem like uh, Nimue escaped and kind of overpowered her. And that is exactly what she's trying to present. So she gets found by some of the Red Paladins and they bring her back to the Abbey. And um, she tells Father Cardin that, you know, Nimue kind of overtook her and escaped. And I think Father Cardin smells the bullshit that she's laying out right now. You know, he, he kind of makes this speech about letting, you know, letting the poison get in and kind of affect things, blah, 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 blah. And, um, you know, he kind of gets a reassurance from more, uh, well, in his, uh, you know, sister Egraine that, you know, she's going to do whatever she can to help them in their quest. And I guess to drive the point home, he brings out Abbess Nora, who he basically says, you know, she showed a weakness. She allowed for this fae girl, Nimue, to kind of infiltrate them and he's punishing her now. And during this whole time, Sister Iris is looking at him with like this really intense look of dedication, fascination. I don't know what it is, but again, this girl creeps me out. Like something is wrong with her. Yeah, um, three things from the top real quick. I feel bad for Abbas Nora. She just kind of got drugged into this situation. Just, yeah. And um, got caught out there. Yeah, she did. And, of course, she has to make an example of her. And usually, people like that, you make an example of the leader, regardless of whether or not they were involved or knew about it. You know, she did kind of know it was a new girl then and lied to him. But I think, regardless of that, I think he would have he would have burned her anyway for allowing the people under her to, to do this. Yeah. The second thing, Iris is deranged. That's all I'm going to say. She just looks crazy. And Morgana is like, what is she, the Sojourner Truth of the Fae? She's running an underground railroad. Well, I mean, we do find... A literal underground railroad for Fae. Yeah, we do find (laughs) out later on in the episode that... Yeah, because we do find out... Yeah, we do find out later on in the episode... (laughs) Your civil rights icon. Yeah, yeah, I did. (laughs) Yeah, because we do find out later on in the episode that she she was like very instrumental in creating the Fay under underground. So I'm like, oh, okay, come on, Morgana. But 
um yeah so anyway they the the paladins they they take abbas nora they put her in the back of a cart and they get ready to go on their quest to find uh nimue and sister iris basically she asked father Cardin to take her with them because she wants to be a red paladin and he kind of looks at her and gives like this little <laughs> you know like yeah whatever and just ignores her and keeps going and i, I you know I was kind of like at that time I was like aha that's what you get but then at the same time you know it still made me mad because I'm pretty sure the reason why he wouldn't even consider that is because she's a woman you know mm-hmm. we don't want no stinking women in our group you know but yeah so she wants to be a red paladin knowing full well what they are and what they do and this is something she apparently is striving for so yeah that lets me know she's you know, I said she she was going to be an issue in the last episode. Now I think an issue is the least of our problems. Like, she's going to be a full, flat-out problem. Like... Yeah, it's like, she, she still says then, it's like, after, when she when she cornered um, corner Morgana and gave her the third degree, it was, like, it was like, she was just, like, lurking, like, following her like she was a spy. I'm like, like look, you little creepy son of a <laughs> I mean, like, like that's like she's almost like a little sister. She's like, what are you doing? Why are you in there? Hey, why, why did she kill you? And like, it's like really specific questions. Right. Like, okay. Even though she's creepy, she, she's reason. She's pretty head. She, she has a pretty good head on her shoulders. Like she kind of sniffed it out. Was like, okay, I'm, like she knows what's going on, but she doesn't know what's going on. Right. Mm-hmm. But, out. So creepy. <laughs> He's really got a a axe to grind, and usually when someone has that type of attitude, something has happened to them in the past. And I get the feeling that maybe he was not necessarily an original mean girl, but she was maybe perhaps picked on when she was younger, and she's taking it out and picking out that she's in a, a quasi place of authority. But the thing is, I Sister Iris isn't in a well she isn't in a position of authority because she you get the ideal from the way that um Egrain speaks to her that she's kind of maybe under her or maybe you know because she's younger Egrain is her elder so she has more of a charge so it's kind of like i feel like she's trying to elevate herself to a position where she has more authority than she actually does. Like she feels like she has the right to ask these questions because according to her, she can see demons and she can do this. And she feels like she's doing God's work in doing all of this, but still it's kind of like, yo, you're being, you're, you're kind of over, overstepping here, you know, but it's kind of weird how through that, how through the episode, like there are a little bit, there are little pieces that as I watched this the second time, things that I really didn't pay attention to the first time, how I noticed they're starting to connect in this episode where it comes to sister Iris and what she feels is her calling from God and how that fits in with the red paladins. And it's just kind of now that I see those connections, it's just kind of like, Oh, this may be a really serious problem. Like I, it's almost, it's almost like, you know how people say they are led by faith, they're led by God, they're led by whatever. Like Father Father Cardin says that they are led by faith and they're doing the work of God. 
and you kind of doubt him because you feel like he's just doing what he's doing based on his own bigotry and his own hatred. But there are certain things that have happened in this episode with Iris where when you see all the pieces and how they fit together, it's kind of like, oh, this is kind of weird. You know, after she, um, she, she caught Morgana coming out of the chapel and in the chapel, Morgana, she was basically sitting there. And I guess at that point she came to a decision that it was her time to leave. You know, of course she had already said that she had seen the signs when brother Troy had been brought and had the, um, the Faye, uh, emblems embedded in his skin and now, you know, she's realized who Nimue is or kind of sort of who Nimue is. And she feels like that's that's her sign that she needs to get out and do what she needs to do for the Fae. So she takes off her cross and she lays it in one of the bins in the chapel. And of course, Iris, Sister Iris catches her coming out of there and she, she's asking her all these questions. You know, why didn't she kill you? This, that, and the other. You know, and, and she... She starts asking her, did she touch you when you guys were fighting? Did she touch you? And she she goes to the parable about uh, from the Bible in which the demon, uh, you know, gets into the pigs and the pigs, you know, are touched by somebody. And then the demon goes from the pigs to the other uh, goes from the person to the pigs and then they fall off the cliff. But, you know, she's basically trying to say, did she infect you? you know, did the demon go into you? And she's kind of having these doubts about Egraine. And she says, I loved you, Egraine. And she says it in the past tense, like, yeah, I had your back once, but now I'm not so sure. Like, it's almost like she sensed a change in Egraine, you know, as far as her mindset. And then she goes to the chapel to pray at the same time that we see Morgana is actually like packing her things to leave. And while she's in the chapel, Sister Irish, she says, you know, please show me a sign that, I, that that I'm supposed to do your will. Show me a sign. And she starts like literally throwing a tantrum. Show me a sign. Give me a sign. Give me a sign. She starts throwing things and knocking things over and kicking things. And as she kicks the um, buckets over, she finds Egrain's cross. And then she goes to Egraine's room and she sees that Egraine has left. She sees her trunk is clear and everything. And she gets so mad about this. And it's kind of like, you can see it solidifying in her face, you know, because she starts squeezing that cross till it draws blood from her hand. She is thinking this is the sign that she was given, that she's supposed to be doing something more, you know? And it's just kind of like, okay, that could have been coincidence. That could have just been coincidence. But then something happens at the end of the episode that I'll get into later that made me say, okay, you know what? She just might be an avenging angel. I don't, I, I don't know. You know, well, doesn't, just... doesn't Celia say in the last episode that, oh, wait, no. No. Never mind. In this, gonna, that, in this episode later, mm-hmm. she says, you know, she's just an angry little girl. And it's like, right. Well, hopefully we'll learn more about her and find out why is she so angry right you know why does she have all of this anger in her and she's directing all of this anger towards you know her her i don't want to call the fade demons but i guess she considers them demons Mm -hmm. but but there's a reason like Lori said there's a reason that she has all this hate and you know 
or anger, and you know, anger leads to hate, and hate leads to suffering. Blah blah blah. You know how that goes. Right. But I mean, even when Celia said that, you know, when when she was saying goodbye to Egraine, Egraine told her she said. Iris is dangerous like she knew and I think that was one of the things that prompted her to say okay it's time for me to get out of here because I think she knew especially with the way Iris was grilling her she was like okay I'm not going to be able to keep up this lie for for much longer like she's on me like a bloodhound this is not going to work and I think that's when she knew it was time for her to leave but it's kind of like whoo you're right. Some, something is driving her. I don't know if, if she had a negative uh, encounter with the Fae. Maybe that's the... Maybe whatever that encounter was with the Fae, maybe that's why she's in the Abbey now. Um, I mean, I don't know. We don't know much about Sister Iris's background yet, except for the fact that she apparently is either very, very faithful and being rewarded for that faith or she's really crazy or just to be that she was i mean maybe she was she was brought there at a young age and just so hard so firmly indoctrinated with the with um the father's message that she just that she just got carried away with it maybe she she believes in it so hard that she wants to rise above being just a nun like she actually wants to have an active hand in getting rid of the faith I, I mean, uh, I could be that she's just that she's just really that committed, and she didn't. She never had. She didn't. She didn't come there like from a broken, like some from a family that she remembers. Maybe that's the life. The life in the Abbey is all she knows. Like she doesn't know anything else. Like she doesn't know know that she's heard what her parents did or anything like that. She just knows that she was trained to be a nun. That they are bad. They need to be exterminated. And that they're evil, and she's like, "Yeah, they're evil. Wow. But I want to get rid of some faith. Okay, give, okay, give me the sword. I want to go." And and it just rolls from there. But it's like, given that she's been raised in an abbey, I mean, this is a house of God, and you would think that she would be a little more calm, a little more compassionate. And it's like, for her to be so young, because she looks like she could be late teens, maybe. She doesn't look older than that to me. But for her to be so young and to be that angry and that, I like, I don't know. If she was raised in the Abbey, what is it that has overpowered those teachings because I'm sure they don't teach you to be hateful and you know all this other stuff that she that she is in the abbey and granted yes the red paladins come and you know everybody kind of knows what they feel and what they believe and what they're trying to do but I didn't get the impression that the paladins were a consistent presence in the abbey so I don't feel like she would be like continuously exposed to that doctrine you know oh she's either trying really hard to be head boy or she's nelly from little house on the prairie <laughs> <laughs> okay follow it oh okay 
we'll get back to Sister Iris uh, later because we've got another big thing to talk about her with this episode. So, okay, Nimue, she she's escaped from the Abbey. She comes to land and immediately she's like spotted by this uh, this guy in a caravan. And it turns out to be a merchant. His name is Dizier. And he and his wife are leather merchants and they're traveling. And what Nimue finds out is that they are, um, they're face smugglers. So basically what they've been doing is they've been encountering various fae in the woods, you know, escaping from Father Pal- uh, Father Cardin and the Paladins, and they've been taking them to safety. And um, Nimue finds out through this encounter that the fae have established a sanctuary and that they've been hiding clues in the woods so that other fae will know and go to the sanctuary. And they offer to take her there, but she tells them that she needs to go to Grimaire because she is looking for Arthur. Like, and she basically says, yeah, he betrayed me. He's going to wish he hadn't. Like, she, she's, ready, she's ready to kick his butt. So, you know, they, they take her to Grimaire and um, they drop her off. And while she's at Grimaire... She runs into Arthur, which, you know, which happens after um, Arthur has escaped from the paladins. Um, they're basically, he's, he's in the wagon, and the paladin that was in the wagon with him, you know, I, I, I understand that most of these guys are bullies, and they use their position to kind of, you know, speak down on people, bully people, but this guy in the wagon with Arthur, I think he was having way too much fun. You know, he's just punching him in the face. He's like slapping him. He's belittling him. And Arthur has like this, he has some little pick. He's, he's able to get out of his little handcuffs and escape. You know, the paladins, they're not the smartest bunch. No. They really aren't. But, but I, I will say, Arthur was getting exactly what he deserved, from my opinion. Slap him around a little more, if you don't mind, because he put himself in that situation. You know, I'm, I'm just saying. Yeah. No, yeah. It's, it's like, it's like as soon as, as soon as she started telling the story, saying that, yeah, no good thief stole that sword from me. I'm like, I, I started. I was like, Ooh, yeah, I'm catch Arthur. But then, then he's you see him you see him escape. But when, all while he was telling that long ass story, I'm like, y'all, y'all didn't. I want to. I want to. I want to do an experiment like and try to do that. Like get my get my hand handcuffs behind me and and like try to undo them and see how people don't <laughs> notice that I'm doing like this. Like yeah, this guy was walking down and there was a baker. Right. And, hold on, hold on a second. Okay. And like I was saying, well, I I kind of have T Rex arms. Like I don't think my reach is that long. Try to get somebody with longer arms to do it. But I'm like, why? Like, he's telling you this long ass story. You're just sitting there. Like, why don't you hit him in the face again and tell him to shut up? I mean, that would be good. I mean, first off, I just feel like if if it's somebody, if you have somebody in the back, and this somebody has been known to travel with sell swords or mercenaries or whatever you wanted to call boars group cutthroats whatever so if you have someone that you know has traveled with this group who's known for being a liar being a thief getting out of scrapes 
you would think that they would think to put more than one person in the back with them. That's just that's just my opinion. You don't put one person, especially those paladins don't really fight. You know what I'm saying? Like they go to villages and they they kill they people. Yeah, but they don't really like they don't do hand to hand combat. You know, so it was very unsmart of them to just put one person back there. And then, of course, while they're back there fighting, the two that are sitting in the front, you know, driving the cart, they're just hitting in the back. Hey, we need them alive because they think that the paladin is back there just beating Arthur to a pulp. And it's like, you don't, you didn't even think to look back there to see what the commotion was. No, you just, hey, we need them alive. Stop. And Arthur just escapes and runs into the woods. You've got five people with you and no one can catch this, can catch this, you know, this one guy. I'm laughing because Anthony is chatting to us. He says that they're literally red shirts. Like, yeah, that, yeah. Right. Because, I mean, we've seen quite a few of them in this episode and, the majority of them that we saw in this episode did end up, you know, dying. Die. So, yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I think that's a like, very accurate uh, description. Mm-hmm. It's just like a typical, like, prison break thing. Like, you know, he, he sits back there, he picks the lock, he beats up the guard. The guards that are driving are not, none of none them more aware of what's going on back there. The next thing when he's gone, he's like, oh, my God, he's gone. Like, Right, but y'all, the th- y'all, y'all could have sussed that out a long time. But here's the yeah, thing but he, too. he also abandoned the sword. Like he didn't even try to to get the sword. He obviously had the heads up on him. And but you yeah, know, but whatever. I mean, we probably couldn't reach it. Two of the paladins long. had horses. You are on horses. This man is on foot. How do y'all not catch him? Like really? He's a, he's a slippery little thief. Yeah. I mean, it's not. His, it's not the first time he's, he's had to run from, you know, guys on horses. So. That's poor writing. <laughs> <laughs> As Anthony is once to that's poor writing. Poor writing. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um. Anyway, let's see. I think. I, 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 about... think I think that they didn't do that because they wanted to set up what was coming. Set up Nimue actually getting the sword back and yeah. things. And what she actually did to get the sword back. That comes yeah, up later. Yeah, they, that's I mean, true. They, that, that's the, that's the only, okay, that's the only reason I could come up with. Because it does set her up to be who she is. Set her set up like how the sword affects her and what it and what it turns her into. It does, but it would have been more fun to watch her beat Arthur's butt and take the sword back from him. <laughs> I mean, at this point, you know, I kind of agree with Anthony. Like, he needs a like... He needs a good butt whooping, and to get and and to get his butt whooped by a, a fae woman would kind of be, you know, poetic justice at this point. So that would have been nice, but yeah, I I think I think you're right. They did set it up that way so she could find the sword later and go through her little, you know, her kung fu scene that she did. But Pam's alive. I know. How, how did she get away? I mean, how did she elude all those red paladins? Because the last time we saw her, she was being carried away. Yeah, but... Go I, I mean, she... I don't know. I, I have the feeling if you're a friend of Nimue's, you probably have to know how to sneak off and get away from people because I kind of get the feeling that, you know, with Nimue being in 
you know, her village. And her village name is Duden. That's what we couldn't remember last time. But her, you know, running away and getting away from people who were, like, being mean to her because of what they thought she was. I would assume if you're a friend of hers, you would know how to do that as well. That you would know how to escape. Just like with Squirrel. Little Squirrel, yeah, he didn't get captured by any of the paladins, but um, at least in the village. But, I mean, we also saw he can run really fast. Like, he took off like a gazelle. <laughs> you know? So... Pam probably figured out a way to get away while they were distracted, you know. She was being carried away. Well, they had to sit her down at some point. <laughs> well, they were taking them straight to the fire, so I don't... I, I mean, okay. All right, I'll let you have it. That's I mean, for riding again. They were carrying them away, too, though, right? I mean, they were don't, yeah don't. they were carrying them away and she she kind of fought and they they threw her down and was trying to attack her and she kind of you know slipped past a couple of them so i mean and they were trying to catch as many of them as they could so even while they were burning some of the fey you could see that there were others of the fey that were kind of sitting on the ground i guess waiting for I don't know, uh, waiting for an empty pyre. I, I mean, not that they were waiting, but, you know, the paladins were waiting for one. So, I mean, she could have easily slipped away. Okay. I mean, we're, okay. And, and, and plus, that when they when they were, were in her village, it was basically a there were there were ping pong against each other. Someone would grab them, then someone would knock them, knock them, hit them over the head, and they escape. Someone else would grab them, grab somebody, then they get hit over the head and escape. And it's like they were going. They were being, you were being pinballed back and forth and being hit upside the head. And some of the Fae were fighting back, too. So it, it could have been that the, the one that was carrying her maybe got attacked and they had to drop her to kind of defend themselves. And that's when she, you know, took the opportunity to run away. It doesn't matter, damn it. She's alive. And that's all we care <laughs> yeah, about. That's all she we care shell, about. She was shell shot too, though. I mean, she was, it looked like she kind of went through it to get to where she was, too. Yeah. Uh, she wasn't talking, like, at the beginning. And like, she, and then it's like the poor, poor girl. So of all people to be found by, she got found by, by Aaron the fish. Aaron. Yeah, and the the like yeah, that's the guy who I think she and Nimue were. Uh, they were teasing each other about in that first episode where uh, she was saying, "Yes, I can marry Aaron the fish, uh, the fish, you know, the fisherman fish or whatever." So he finds her and. Her mom, I mean, his mom is like, yeah, we can't keep her here. She's fey. The paladins will burn us. And he's like, no, you have to take care of her. She's, we're getting married. She's just like your, she's as good as your Christian daughter. And the mom is like, Ugh. and Pim is like, she's like, excuse me? Yeah, she found her voice then. She was like, excuse me? I never said, what? Huh? Hmm? What? That, that brought her back to reality. Right. But I mean, just just turn me in. No, turn me in. I'm over here, guys. Hey, yo, I'm over here. But you know, I mean, if you if you have to think about it, if you have to get married to Aaron or go back to the Red Paladins and be burned alive, you know what? I I can deal with being married to a fisherman. Yeah, she's weighing she's she's weighing that heavily though. She really is like, nah, we're not doing all that. I just need a place to hide. We, I'm not trying to be with you. I'm just trying to be here. Right, but. I'm glad that she's alive. And she meets a mysterious, handsome stranger, too. Oh. Off. That whole sunlight coming up. <laughs> it was so cheesy, oh, but I loved awesome. it. It's so funny. I was laughing. I'm like, oh, they didn't go there. And they did. It was, it was beautiful. It, it did. Was like, 
So, where you from? Right. <laughs> She's sitting there playing with her hair with fish guts in her hands. It's just like, that's not a good look, Pim. It's not. With her, with her fish gut hands, like, rolling her, rolling her hair in her fingers. Right. Then but, Aaron was like, Minnow! She's like, oh, shit. Like, is that the one? Like, I don't know who that is. Nope, I don't know. <laughs> that was, that was, that was, that was strange. It was pretty funny, though. But yeah, and then we see at the end of, at the end of the episode to, or towards the end of the episode, Pim, uh, she finds out. Well, when she meets the mysterious stranger, she finds out that he's a, a raider. You know, he, which I guess is another version of pirate, um, because Vikings. Yeah, uh, yeah okay, thank you. Because yeah. I was looking at the ship, I was like, that looks like a Viking ship, but yeah, uh, you know, okay. So you know, she sees that he's you know he's there. He's their their ship is docked. Um, at the end of the dock that she's kind of cleaning. And so at the end of the episode, she takes off, you know, in the middle of the night and she goes towards that boat. So she's about to stow away, you know, but she also finds out in this episode, um, the red paladins are of course in the town and they, they have taken a fae woman. They called her a tusk. Um, and this fae woman had apparently been hiding in the village and they found her and they burned her in the center and basically told the townsfolk that she was the wolf blood witch. They knew she wasn't, but they basically were trying to make a statement like, yeah, this is the person who killed all, you know, who killed our brother and she's the one who is wreaking havoc and we're, you know, they're basically making a pu public spectacle of this woman, but it's the same way that Pim finds out that Nimue survived the attack in the village. So I'm guessing that she's throwing away on this boat to try to see if she can find where Nimue is. Yeah. And yeah. I also found it interesting that um, they were parroting what Father Carden said about the links they would go through to hide themselves because she had been filing down her tests mm -hmm. to hide among them. Yep. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Which is, you know, and, and just like even when, um, when Aaron found Pim, you know, and he was bringing her towards his mother, he was kind of, he was fixing her hair, like pulling it over her face and over her ears, just kind of, you know, like I said, I don't remember if, if their version of the Fae have anything different about their features. You know, we did see the Tusk woman and she had her tusks shaved down. Um, in Desir's caravan, there were there was a father and daughter who were part of the snake men clan and, or the snake, the snake clan. clan. Yeah. And, um, so their, their faces were kind of greenish in color and they had like scales, like they, like, like you would see on a snake. So we know that there are some fae that have like distinct features that let yeah. you know that they are fae, but I, I have the sky folk, sky folk seem to look more human. Mm-hmm. Than most, yeah, like yeah. Pim way and her mother, father, even back in the first episode, they all look normal, even um, um, squirrel, they all look human, mm -hmm. you know. But they it doesn't seem like they intermingle or mix with the other clans very much because, no. uh, is it the silver wing or moon wing? Moon wing, yeah, that's the one they don't see often because they have the wings, mm -hmm. but. It, it it seems like the sky folk tend to be a little bit more normal than most, right? Unlike the, the ones that, ones that more are more likely to pass the human. Yeah. yeah, 
Yeah. Because, but, but it's also at the same time, it's like, if you think about the encounters Nimue has had with other people, I think people sense or people know enough to know that she's not human, you know, because they basically have been like, what are you or who are you? When she was at the Abbey, they, they were asking her like, what are you? You know, when, when she started saying, you know, a, a couple of things like about the Fae medicines and remedies and mm-hmm. stuff, they didn't ask, who are you? They were like, what are you? Like, are you Fae? Are you... You know, so I I don't know what it is that distinguishes them from the other ones because they they look human to me, you know, and there's not really been anything of note except for the fact that Grey Monk, who, again, we, we think is Faye, you know, he has kind of light eyes. Squirrel has light eyes. Nimue has kind of light eyes. And I think, I think maybe Pim does too. So that's all. Pim just has big eyes okay yeah so i i don't know but he strikes me as such a human looking acting person i if you were saying she was bay i'd be like are you sure i mean there has to be an aura or or a smell or something that can tip them up because if you look at him you don't see Faye right at all now, we do know that there is maybe a scent about them because the gray monk can sense it. But then again, if he's also fey, then he would know that, you know. But I don't think a human could, like, be in the vicinity and say, oh, that person's fey. I don't think it's well, that. It, it could be one of those things that we're just subconsciously wired to know the difference between human and fey. It could be how they carry themselves, how they walk. They just don't look human. You know, it's the same way, you know, scientists have been trying to figure out how to make androids or robots walk like humans, and you really can't. You really can't. It's very hard to do, because we're just wired that way to know the difference. Right. Right. Yeah. Just one of those things. If you can't really see a distinguishing feature, you can just look at it and be like, you know what, you're actually kind of not walking the way a human should walk, so <laughs> yeah. you may not be human. Yeah. They yeah. Could just People just kind of tell, and maybe that's one of the things that Iris relies on. Maybe Iris, for some strange reason, thinks she can tell the difference between a human and a fae just by looking at them. Right. Which will I mean, kind of go along with that. Yeah, because it's like from the moment she saw Nimue, she treated her differently. Like, she didn't treat her like, oh, you're just some poor orphan girl or you're some poor girl who's here. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's the fact that Nimue was being kept in the barn and not and wasn't brought directly into the Abbey, as at least as far as Sister Iris knows. Um, I, I mean. I mean, it could I be complexion. It could be how they care, combination accent, how they talk. It, it could just be if you as if you take that all in as a person, you can just kind of be like, okay, well, I can't. You're not from around here, so you must be different. Mm-hmm. So you must not be human, right? Yeah. 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 Just like some, like you know, someone. It's easier back in the day, like someone, like someone from like New York, like would come down here, and you you can you can almost tell they're from New York by how they walk. Uh, or even, or even even different city and country, you can tell someone from the city by the fast pace that they keep up. 
because mm-hmm. for some of the country because they took their time, they're more leisurely or they're more polite or they're like, you know, just, if you're from, like, it's just kind of what people are, are, have seen or led to believe. But we, we also literally, I mean, I don't, I don't want to say that these writers are doing what the boys did or I don't want to give them too much credit, but here we are talking about people trying to pass for something they're not which is something that, you know, the African-American community has had to deal with. And, you know, we've had people, especially in the past, you know, be able to pass for being white or Mm -hmm. even some um, Middle Eastern people being able to pass for white because just the complexion and color of their skin. Um, It it, it can be... I don't want to get too much into it, but it just seems like this that would be something that the writers may have drawn on. And sometimes you can look at a person who's trying to pass and people will start picking up little things like, you know, you're, you have a really good tan, you know, you're kind of not walking the proper way and how you speak is a little different because people who pass really have to try hard to not be that thing that they are. And that seems to be the issue that the Fae have the ones that are passing, sometimes it can be really hard to not be who you are, especially if you're like this lady who got burned at the state. She's filing her test down mm-hmm. so she can pass. And you can only do that so long right. before someone figures it out. Yeah. It's not like she was like Hellboy who filed his warrant down, but everybody's like, it's still a big red demon. Yeah, it's really hard, especially like for there are a lot of people who are Latino who can pass really easily, but like as soon as they open their mouth, they're like, eh, I don't know. But it's like you know, people people try to do everything like dyeing their hair, mm-hmm. going bleaching their skin, taking mm-hmm. plastic surgery and things like that to pass. But it's like you really can't deep down you can't change who you are. You just not going to work. You're going to still be whatever whoever you are, whether you're whether you're Asian, whether you're whether you're Hispanic or whatever. I saw this, this clickbait thing on Facebook that showed people who you didn't know were something other than, you thought they were white, but they were actually like from somewhere else. Or people didn't think they were black, like Rashida Jones. Rashida Jones' father is Quincy Jones, but a lot of people think that she's just white. And you're like, like huh. So it's just kind of, you, you, it, you can never tell, but it's like, if you, you know, you, really all you have to do is act like whoever you are. Because Rashida, Rashida Jones doesn't really act like she, she acts like who she is. She doesn't try to act white. She doesn't try to act black. She just acts like Rashida. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you're just kind of like, okay, whatever. It doesn't really matter. But like, in, but like in this case, this matter of life or death, you kind of have to like really, really commit to the part or you'll get burned at stake. Yeah. But let's move on since we mentioned the gray monk. <sighs> this dude here, I like, I just, I don't know what to think about him. Like, so he finds one of, um, there's a, there's a point in the story where he finds a caravan and the way that they, they shoot the scene, it's almost as if he's found the caravan that Nimue is in, which Really started freaking me out for a minute. Yeah, that, conf- yeah, that confused me for a hot second. I was like, wait, damn, they found him already? 
Right. Then they, right. Right. Then they showed him killing a whole other caravan. Right. But the the thing is, he knew who the caravan belonged to. He knew that it was Desir's, one of Desir's cap caravans. He did look inside the caravan and there was a fake person inside. And, um, you know, he ended up killing everyone in the caravan and told Father Cart, or rather told one of the other paladins, you know, these caravans belong to a man named Desir. He trades leather goods. He's probably, you know, on the road, find him. So he basically knows, okay, this man is transporting Faye stragglers, you know, Faye refugees, whatever you want to call them. So again, he's still on his mission to kill all the Faye. This is what Father Cardin has charged him with. So this is what he's doing. And now he's, he's also killing the people who are helping the Faye. And, um, you know, during his mission or his task, whatever you want to call it, he has realized that the Fae have been uh, hiding messages in the woods for other Fae to find, basically telling them how to get to this sanctuary. And, of course, he recognizes these symbols and he kind of, he, he says he's got bits and pieces enough to know that there is a sanctuary mm-hmm. and this is where they'll find him. Again, giving me the impression that he is Faye. He is Faye. Mm-hmm. So now we really need to know, okay, so why is he turning against his, like, he's literally killing his own people. Again, what, I'm going to reiterate, I'm almost certain that it's Lancelot. Now, I have started questioning that it could be Percival. I don't know. But it seems, you know, like I said, if you go along with the stories, Lancelot was raised by Nimue and some of them, so that would technically kind of make him sort of Fae-like. So I'm really starting to believe that it is him. And, you know, we also know that Lancelot is an extraordinary accomplished fighter. Mm-hmm. And that would also go along with that, too. Now... It will be interesting to find out, regardless of whether he's Lancelot or not, what would make him, you know, turn against his own people? Because apparently at some point he was, you know, maybe he was an orphan. Maybe he was like Iris. He was taken in by Father Cardin and raised to be this blade of, you know, of the church. Right. And it, and it just... Hopefully, like Michael said, I think back in the first episode, hopefully he, whoever he is, hopefully he finds a path back to redemption and hopefully he doesn't do anything, you know, that, that will, um, will, will make that redemption almost impossible to overcome. So do you I think mean, he's, he's redeemable? Huh? Do you think he's redeemable? I mean, think I about mean, it. He's like, he's literally slaughtered. Who knows how many hundreds of phase? Like well, he's he, annihilated he's, villages. He spared Squirrel, and I don't think he only spared him to use him as bait. I really think um, he doesn't want to harm any children. So that that means there's at least he's not Anakin. He's gone that far to the dark side where he will slaughter oh, children. Poor <laughs> Anakin. But again, Anakin Anakin did eventually find um, redemption. Though it took him going to yeah. the universe to find it, he's going to technically in return Jedi. He got his redemption, he got back his redemption by back by killing the emperor. Spoiler alert! I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, yeah, it's just he, he, any anybody's redeemable, redeemable as long as 
as long as they want to be redeemed. I mean, right now he doesn't really want to be redeemed. He, he wants to go around and and be the weapon of the long Father Cardin's weapon. So he's, finally, he's perfectly content being that, and he doesn't have a reason to really want to be redeemed. So is there room for it? Yeah. But, I mean, he's just not, he's not really showing it now. He's, he's basically a traitor to his kind. Like, he knows all their tricks, and he knows how to read and do all this other stuff. But then again, I'm kind of wondering when he saw the glyphs and the and the signs that showed all the fae where to go. I'm wondering if he actually knew the translation, but he was like, "Hmm, if I tell him there was water in, and and he might maybe maybe that gave him a little sense with maybe that 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 was the little trickle of feeling that he had." I didn't get that sense um, because if you think about it, Grey Monk and Nimue look like they may be somewhere around the same age and when Nimue um, later on comes comes across those symbols in the woods with Arthur she tells Arthur this is old Fay. my mother taught me how to read these symbols and I would think that her mother would teach her that as you know her mother was high priestess she probably taught that to Nimue so that if Nimue would were to succeed her she would also know the old ways um, but even Nimue couldn't you know she she could only recognize certain symbols and it, it, it's kind of similar to what gray monk said he says i don't you know when father carlin says do you know what they say he said not entirely so i think he kind of gets the gist of what some of them may mean but he did he he did know enough to say if we follow this and he motioned to all of it if we follow this this is where we will find them all so I don't think he was trying to keep Father Cardin from them because he basically said, yeah, if we figure out what this means, this is where we'll find them all and this is where we can, you know, it's like if you find them all, you can go ahead and destroy them all, you know. So, but right now they're just having to do it in bits and pieces as they come across them. Um, and, and we see that, that that does have consequences because Desir and his family are found by another caravan and when Nimue and Arthur come across them, they've all been slaughtered. You know, Desir is dead. His wife is dead. The uh, the man from the snake, uh, snake clan is there. Uh, he's dead. But the little girl is missing, and they they come across her later on in the woods. But this is after you know, um, Nim. Basically, what happens is once they find the caravan, Nimue starts hearing the hidden and it leads her to the sword and then once she has the sword she hears the paladins down in the river and they're bathing and she basically goes down and she slaughters she slaughters like nine nine or ten of them you know she tells the sword to give them to give her their its strength and she just goes to town like she i really do think that the sword is changing her as she's wielding it because you could kind of almost see like a visible change in her demeanor in her facial expressions in the way she carries herself like she's completely different when i was she, thinking that was the sword influencing her again yeah that's what i'm that's yeah. what i'm saying i you, you you can kind of see where it's it's kind of doing that to her and then after she's out of the river when she has the sword in her hand again and she's kind of catching her breath and she looks at the river and she sees the damage that she has done 
it's almost like she almost starts to have a panic attack because she realizes yeah. that this is what she has done. Again, she looks totally, she, she appears totally different at this point. She seems more like herself at this point. And we also get a foreshadowing of her coming out of the, the water like the lady in the lake. Mm-hmm. You know, we see her sort of um, emerge from the depths of the water. With, with the, the sword, sword in her hand. hand just <gasps> <gasps> Like like She-Ra coming from the water. Yeah, it's like, it was more like Rambo to me. It was, it was like, <laughs> like she just came out and the water's like in a sheet over her and all of a sudden she's just like, <laughs> I mean, it, it, literally, I expected to hear, hear like, the king of the machine gun, and her go, oh! <laughs> she's, like, slaughtering all of them. Yeah. But this that is... Was, I mean, that was good. I mean, her sword work was actually really good for them. I mean, but then, see, that shows the power the sword has and that it can go through you and what, and what it can get you to do. So now, it's, now she has... I mean, she has decided she wants to continue to to be used like that because I'm sure that that's really scary to be all of a sudden to not really have any sword skills then next thing you know you're Zoro and you're cutting your way through you're cutting a swath bloody swath through about seven or eight paladins so yeah. I mean that has to be kind of scary and intimidating yeah but after after this slaughter <laughs> um of course the red paladins they they come and they find their fallen brethren and father cardin and the gray monk are at the top of the hill and um father cardin basically tells the gray monk he's like you know she's taunting you you know by by killing your brethren you know she she's taunting you which you ha- you have to kind of feel for gray monk like he's been so close to her several times and she like just barely eludes his grasp and in the midst of this, she's killing other paladins, and it's like there's not really like he's failing at. Well, I won't even say he's failing at his task because Father Paladin, I mean Father Cardin, basically told him, "Don't go after her. You need to kill the Fae." But at the same time, he's kind of holding him responsible, saying, "Yes." Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's unfair because he told he he said, "Let me go get her." He's like, uh, "No, I need you to find the other Fae right. and kill them." Right. But you can't turn around and say, well, it's your fault. You're not tracking her. Well, you told me not to. Right. She's taunting you. Uh, what else is she going to do? I can't go after her. You wouldn't let me. But this is this is where the, the other interesting thing about Iris comes into play for me. So after he says this to the gray monk, he tells him, he says, let us pray. And his prayer says, we pray for the lost souls of our fallen brothers, almighty father. We beg thee purchase of our weaknesses and skin us of our mercy. Send a heavenly flame to cleanse our corrupted hearts. And should you deem us unworthy, send us your purest soldier, your avenging angel. Now, immediately after we hear them say this prayer, the scene cuts to a smoke-filled sky with ashes. And we see that the abbey is on fire and Sister Iris is walking away from it with a smirk and a satisfied look on her face. So and... the thing that got me was, like I said earlier in the episode, when she when she threw her little tantrum and she was asking for a sign, she literally kicked over a bucket and found uh, Sister Egrain's cross, basically symbolizing that Sister Egrain 
you know, was no longer part of the faith. She had given up her, you know, her position there and she escaped, which she later, you know, she went to her room to find that Sister Grain had escaped. So that, that was her sign. So in this prayer, he says, send a heavenly flame to cleanse our corrupted hearts. I feel like the heavenly flame was at the Abbey because according to Sister Iris, they had been corrupted because Nimue had been there. You know what I'm saying? And then should you deem us unworthy, send us your purest soldier, your avenging angel. I have a feeling that's Iris. Yeah, because it showed her right afterwards, like with the slow walk and the, and the pulling over of the veil. Right. Like, like you're telling me this little bitty girl, this little bitty urchin had the foresight, had the mental capacity, had the thought, had the planning to burn down a whole abbey. And you know that the other sisters are inside because you can hear the screams as the building is up in flames. You know, and she's walking away without a scratch. She so is going to be, I think she's going to be a bigger problem than the Grey Monk. She's Mark like my words. She's like, scrappy dude to me. I'm like, like, because she's always like, let me at him, let me at him. But Scrappy it's, it's, didn't do like, near the damage that Sister Iris is doing. I'm telling you, yeah, she's going to be a like, bigger problem. One, she's going like, to be a bigger problem than Father Cardin. She's going to be a bigger problem than Gray Monk. Because, because, because Father Cardin, I feel like Father Cardin, some of what he's doing is personal. Not necessarily personal like he's a, like the, the Faye you know, offended him or anything, but he's doing it, quote unquote, for God. But I feel like in a way, he's also doing it for his own glory. Iris yeah. is not like she really thinks that she is doing the work that she is called to do. That makes her very dangerous. You know, yeah. she burnt down a whole building just because people. it. Right, because it means, means she has to lock. She had to lock and barricade doors. Man, that, like, that, and 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 not only know. that, if if people like, and I don't know, people may not have realized it was her that was doing it. But you got to think, there's people running around. They're confused. They're scared. They're probably grabbing each other. They're you know, they're trampling each other, trying to get away or whatever. She walks away without a scratch. Like, even if, let's say, Celia, Egraine's girlfriend, she, you have Egraine's words in your head saying, Sister Iris is dangerous. And then all of a sudden, a few hours later, the Abbey is burning. Yeah. Something should have clicked. Something should have told you to go look for this girl. Oh, okay. I, you know? I, I, have, a, I have another bone to pick with the writers. Because if, if like, how many people knew about the dock under the, you know, underground river in the Abbey? Because when they were looking for Nimue in the previous episode, did not anyone think to go down there and see if maybe she went down there? It was probably, I mean, it's probably a, a hidden passageway. I right, mean, but how, how, who, who all knew about it? We knew Celia knew about it. So but Celia probably only it? knew about it because Egraine knew about it. And Egraine well, probably only knows about it because her being who she's supposed to be as far as, like, she's, 
you know, she smuggled Faye before. And they said she smuggled, she smuggled Faye through the Abbey before. So Nimue was not the first time that she had done that. So she probably created that way for them to get away. And then, of course, with Celia being her girlfriend, she was probably privy to that information. But right. I mean, I'm just trying to think of the logistics of this. Like, did, did she barricade the barracks? Or did she and she barricade the exit doors? Like, did she barricade all the doors? Because at least Cecilia would know, okay, well, we actually have an out that is a hidden passage that no one knows about but me. But I guess like, we have to assume maybe she it was at night and she barricaded them in their bedrooms. I mean, and Abby Nora isn't, Abbas Nora isn't there, so who's really enforcing, you know, the curfew? Yeah. I'm just saying, I had a lot of questions you know, I don't know. I, I guess I'm trying to, I, my brain wants to come up with a reason as to how no one could escape. Well, you know? I, I would probably think that if, especially if Egraine was using that as a way to smuggle Faye out, I'm assuming that was a secret, um, a secret exit that maybe nobody else knew about except for Celia. And as far as why Celia, well, we don't know. We don't know how many sisters may have gotten out. There may have been some That's people true. Have who have out. gotten out. But I mean, you got to think about it. Depending on where the fires were started, depending on how the fires were started, you know, the the um, underground, you know, cave could have been on one side of the abbey. Celia may have been housed on another side of the Abbey. So if the Abbey is already in flames, it's possible she may not have been able to get to it. You know? So, I mean, all we know at this point is that the Abbey is burning. We don't know what the circumstances are. We don't know how many people survived. We don't know how many people died. We don't know if anybody escaped. You know, we just, at this point, we just know that right now, she is the (laughs) angel. She is death. (laughs) At this point, so quite easily have maybe put something in like a a sleeping potion or or something to make people fall asleep. And it's not that hard to burn down a building like that if you put a little thought into it. Okay, if she knows that, okay, it's an abbey. We can assume that most abbeys have some sort of product that they sell to people or whatever. A lot of the abbeys, a lot of the nunneries, they do wine. They do medicinal herbs. They do stuff like that. So if you think about it, if she did a little bit of planning when they had their evening meal before whatever prayers or service, she could have knocked everybody out and then quietly went around the whole keep, locked all the doors, burnt the place down, and went on a merry way. I mean, you she doesn't strike me as a as a really rash impulse person. She strikes me as an impulse but I want to think about how I can be sneaky about it and then do it by the person. She strikes me as the person who probably would have been in one room and saw a sister and was like, oh, this is my opportunity. She probably slashed that throat, set, started a fire there and went on and did it. And that, I mean, at this point, I feel like she's that methodical. Like, okay. she would have been like, okay, yeah, let me kill this person here, kill that person there. Like, maybe someone saw her getting ready to start the fire and she quieted them. She seems like she will be that point now. But again, the way that they're kind of setting this up, I feel like whatever 
she did to start the fire and to get out of there with nobody noticing, I feel like whether it was by her faith or whether it was however it just did, I just felt like the pieces just lined up exactly the way she needed them to line up for her to do what she did and to get out of there. I just, I just kind of feel like, you know, uh, again, Father Cardin is, is doing things one way and he's getting some kind of results, but he's not getting the results that he wants. On the other hand, Iris, I feel like her methods and her results seem to be shaping up to be a little more reliable and a little more accurate. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And it's kind of like it, it it feels like one of those I don't know if it's I don't know if it's the work of her god or if it's the work of something else that's doing that for her, but she's on a mission and everything seems to be lining up to assist her in that mission. I don't know if that's magic, I don't know if that's faith, but again, Sister Iris is about to be a problem. Yeah, she's methodical and diabolical. Like she really doesn't care either. Like and she, she wants- yeah, she has no. I mean, she's she's a sociopath. She has no feelings behind what she's doing, except for the fact that you're letting the devil in. You've consorted with the devil. You, you you're you're betraying us. That that's kind of how she's looking at, it, and I think that's how she looked at Egrain. And I would not be surprised if she did all of that because she was pissed at Egrain and now she's going to find Egrain. Because I'm sure that she probably looked for her through that abbey just to make sure, okay, did she actually leave? Oh, yeah, she's gone. All right. Let me go find her because now she feels, and and she probably, she probably did that at the abbey because if she feels like Egrain was infected with the, with the demon or with the devil, that means that during that time that Egrain was there, she doesn't know who else could have been affected. And so her solution, kill them all. Burn it all. Burn it all down. Burn it all. The cleansing fire. Man. Yeah. I mean, it's... That's major. That's creepy. <laughs> and the fact that she's so young and that... Oh... Serial killers ain't got an age number. I know, but... But still, you're raised in the Abbey. You're raised to be a reflection of God. And you... Yeah, but she she has so much anger in her that, you know... know. But again, people have a different reflection of different needs, different visions. A lot of people would have different visions when they think about how to serve God. I mean... You have, you have people who that this is how cults start. I mean, people see see a greater power as one thing, and they're like, okay, you have to go out and help people and feed the poor and feed the hungry. Or where you have other people where, okay, the God God wants you to give me all your belongings and follow me, and and when everything goes to hell, then we're drinking Kool Aid and we're like that going to sleep forever. Yeah. So I mean, there. There's a lot of different people can see people see God in different things, and sometimes it's a good thing, sometimes it's a bad thing. Well, anger, hate, and being a zealot does not mix. No, does not. It does not. Oh, yeah, I'm just. 
Whew, I'm scared to see what she's going to do next. I'm just, oh, I don't, I don't, she's going to be a problem. <laughs> That's all I can say. She's going to be a problem. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> can, I, can I say something really quick about the cast? The cast is so good that you watch me, everyone, right? And it hit me today as I was watching it that, that Merlin is Floki from Vikings. It oh took yeah, that was to recognize who he was. Yeah, yeah. Because the casting is so good, you can't. You're drawn in, but at the same time, you're like, "Who is that?" You know, because I looked at the cast today and I was like, oh, "Wow, okay." And I, I was trying to figure out where I knew him from too, because I haven't watched Vikings, but I've seen like clips of the show, and just trying to figure out who Gustav. Uh, Skarsgård was because I was like I know I've seen his face before like of course we all know like the dad and some of the brothers because they're just like they're literally taking over Hollywood now and you know it's just kind of like I was like okay so I want to know what I've seen him in because I know I've seen him in something and Vikings was the first thing that came up when I looked him up I was like oh oh that's why I know him so yeah because he, he does walk in a particular way when he's walking, that it seems like every show he's in, he's walking that same type of odd little <laughs> stuff walk. So I, that's what got my attention. Yeah. But I'm glad you brought him up because that's where we were going. I think that's the that's the last uh the last thing we, we need to discuss. Um Merlin. <sighs> Merlin, you know, I'm starting to think that he's not as useless as he wants everyone to believe he is like really on his Captain Jack Sparrow shit today right he was but he was also very uh, again I'm going to use this word he was very methodical because he he goes to Lord Rugen and you know he's basically they're basically discussing the sword and Lori your your question from a few episodes ago is answered yes it is that uh, Merlin does appear to be one of the shadow lords because Mm -hmm. he mentions that when he's talking about the sword of power, he says it would be better for us if, if it came back into our hands or us as the shadow lords. And I was like, oh, okay. So he is a shadow lord. So basically he's blowing a whole bunch of smoke up Lord Rugen's ass, basically saying, um, yeah, we need to get the sword of power back. Uther Pendragon doesn't need it. I want the sword to, you know, come back to you. And even Lord Rugen is like... <laughs> What are you talking about? He's like suspicious until Merlin brings out this, uh, he calls it a torque. And I, I guess it's a necklace that belonged to whoever this woman is that's desiccated and, and mummified in the, in the dungeon or the reliquary where he was. Um, that, was that, that was creepy. It's like, he's just got her. She's still standing up. She's basically all, you know, bones and, He's still he's keeping her there like a trip. I don't I don't know. It was weird. A trophy. Yeah. Like now you're complete again, aren't you, dear? Yeah. It's part of his his um collection. Right, right. So during this time, you know, Merlin is drinking wine and he's telling stories and he's getting very relaxed and he seems like he is so drunk, like off his rocker. And he actually uses that. Um, he actually uses that as a distraction 
to steal Lord Rugen's keys so that he can go and get the Fae Fire from in the reliquary. And I'm like, this man is smarter than we all give him credit for. <laughs> like, Rugen has tried to get information from him. He's basically like, yeah, maybe they realize that you don't have your magic and Merlin just kind of sidesteps that question without actually answering it. And he actually gets to where he he's able to steal some of the Fae Fire and he's chased out of there. But, I mean, it's just kind of like... What, like, like he said, I don't have my magic. But, but I, I have, have my, my wits. wits. <laughs> you know, and and he definitely showed that in this episode. Like like I said, you, you think that he's just in there drunk and he's just spouting off at the mouth and he's got his Jack, you know, his Jack Sparrow swagger on and all this time he is... Like telling him one story, acting like he's drunk, and squishing wine on him, then acting like he's wiping it off and stealing it and lifting his feet. Right. And it takes Lord Rugen forever to figure this out. I mean, by the time he's figured it out, Merlin has pretty much stolen the fire and is, you know, halfway out the door. uh, Yeah, so the thing I wanted to point out, well, talk about was... We find, like you say, we found out Rugen is a shadow lord, and so is Merlin. Um, but I wanted to say that whoever plays Lord Rugen, that was excellent. Like he's like my favorite character. <laughs> he, his makeup is disgusting, and he he the jewel in his eye. Yeah, he's he's incredible. It's awesome, and uh, I just want to say. Merlin is clearly lying. He's not going to give the sword to Lord Rugen. I mean, it is obvious. And the other thing was, Merlin was surprised he wasn't poisoned. Like, Rugen offers him a cup of wine, and Merlin's like, oh, I'm just letting you breathe. Right, and then he drinks <laughs> and, it, and he's and looking he at him like... like Okay, I'm still here. Okay, all right. <laughs> right, because he was looking like he was expecting something to happen, and Rugen was looking at him like, what are you waiting for? Like, what are you doing? So it's kind of like Merlin was expecting to be poisoned. Rugen is looking at him like, why do you think I'm poisoning him? <laughs> he was just... Yeah, he's like, is it good or not? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and and Merlin is like, okay, I'm not dead. Okay, yeah. right. The plan's a go. But now he's stolen this fae fire, so whatever plan he has for this sword, he's put it into motion. I mean, he's got the widow's horse. The horse was waiting for him when he got out of Ruger's lair or underground. I don't even know what you call that. Like they I were, don't know. Where, where they were, were they? Because they were underground, they I think. Underground? Yeah, they were underground, and somehow he, ca- he got they, out. But they carried him to a castle that was above ground. It was kind of It was kind of weird. It was. Kind of like the Rat King's Lair. I, I don't know if you guys have seen Grimm, but there's a there's an episode or two where they're dealing with some of the Western who are basically rat-like characters, and they have a house, like a, like a Dolby-type house, and usually when they have that type of characters, they burrow, and they actually have their main drones underneath. So that's what that reminded me of. Okay. Okay. Yeah, but... Like mold people. Ah. Uh. <laughs> yeah, basically mold people, yeah. yes. <laughs> But yeah, it's like, and yeah, did he? Were those people like hypnotized or mesmerized, or were they just were they zombies? Like, I think they were just beggars. He called them beggars, and I think they they look like they're all lepers because isn't 
Vegan, the King of Lepers. I think yeah, that's, that's something like that. Yeah. So. Yeah. And and that's why he had all the boils on his skin. They all had the boils on their skin. But his little crazy looking person with the the bird bone with face the plague mask, mask do, uh, the plague doctor mask. That's what it looked yeah, like. Yeah. <laughs> that's what. It, so uh, yeah. So Regan is he's great. I love. I love that. I hope we see more of him, and I hope we see more shadow shadow lords. Yeah, I want to know who the other shadow lords are. Yeah, so it's yeah. like, cause it can't, be, it can't just be those it two. It can't be just one, right? One I'm interested two. to see how Merlin, what Merlin was like as a shadow lord. Because I mean, right now we're just seeing him as a huckster and a con man and a drunk. He's not, he's not, he's not really presenting shadow lord right now. So. No, he's not. He's not. But um, like I said, he has the Fey Fire now, so I have a feeling that whatever plan he's got in motion it, it it's starting so now he just needs to get the sword so obviously I think he really honestly wants to destroy it i think that's yeah. that's his goal yeah so but i mean in order for him to do that that means now him and nimue have to they have to meet she has to get the sword to him so I I'm looking forward to when that happens because I think we'll find out a little more backstory on the both of them because again I really I really feel like Merlin has some kind of um, history with her mother and I think that's about to come out whatever that history is I, you know we're gonna find out about the history of the sword and the history yeah. of him and Lenore and where Nimue falls into all of that um, because I still want to know you know like I said the doe in the first episode referred to her, her as fae queen so is she supposed to be a, a queen to the fae or was that just uh, you, you know I, I don't know I have a feeling I mean she has a sword they say that whoever wields the sword is supposed to be king so I want to know how we're going to get there you know and I want more of Merlin's backstory. Like, I think now we've had enough of Merlin as drunk, you know, wannabe Jack Sparrow. I need to know his right. past. We need to know more about him. So we're, we're now almost, the next episode will be halfway through the season. It's time. It's time for us to have that backstory, and they need to go ahead and give it to us. You know? Yeah. It'd be nice to see him kind of step up. We because hope. you know, I mean, even though like the other Merlin, other Merlins that I've seen kind of have what he's been act like the way act the way he's been acting, but they've also had they've also had more of a of a sense of righteousness about them. Mm -hmm. Um, I've, and we haven't seen that from him yet. Plus, also, I guess we really haven't seen because he's really about helping Arthur. From the from most of the things that we've seen as far as Arthurian lore, Merlin helps Arthur. Mm -hmm. It's like we haven't seen, they haven't even met yet. So. They haven't met, and then also just what we know about Arthur, uh, excuse me, what we know about Merlin's background from what Lord Rugen says, um, Uther is not the first king that Merlin has betrayed. You know, He's betrayed many others. Exactly. So yeah. it's kind of like, hmm. So we're dealing with a real sketchy Merlin now. So maybe, I don't know, maybe if him and Arthur meet, maybe that will, maybe Arthur is the person that 
kind of puts him back on that right path. I don't see how at this point because Arthur at this point, yeah, not my favorite person in the series. Yeah. So. But again, we know that eventually he's going to be king and we know that uh, Merlin is going to be by his side because that's how all the stories go. So we know he's going to get there. It's just figuring out how he's going to get there because right now, I don't see it. I don't particularly care to see his art because he's so annoying to me. I know, I'm like you, I know he's going to get there eventually. But the thing is, is that he's just acting like a jerk. And the thing of it is, is he gets his art because his uncle is a jerk. You know, so it's like the whole family. You know, and and the whole thing with, with him, you know, and the knights and, and all of that. I mean, it's cute to do it this way. I'm showing us a different side of Arthur. But if you're doing a, a purely traditional... This is so off the rails that I don't even find it interesting. I find it annoying, and I find it a little um, a, a little boring, to, to be honest with you, because to me, I shouldn't have to watch him find his soul, okay? I mean, this is Nimue's story, not his. Mm-hmm. Right. 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 I agree. I agree. Hmm. Okay. Well, any final thoughts? Because I think we covered everything. Um... I'm, I'm, I'm still I'm a big fan of of Nimue's sword skills when she has the sword because like you like from the first episode you could tell that she doesn't know how to wield the sword even when she was fighting off the wolves like her sword skills are kind of meh but at this point the way she the way she fought off and killed those paladins was actually like when she when she was fighting and she put put the sword on his neck and pulled and like almost cut his head off like mm-hmm. the third paladin that she killed third or fourth paladin that she killed I was like huh and again this reminds me of Star Wars a lot there's a lot I mean, and I know they were all made like with it, with each other in mind like Star Wars is made with author and mind with authorian basically but it's like even with hearing the hearing the sound of sword makes going through the air really reminds me of lightsabers, so I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, yeah I, can, I can really get into that, and it seems like <laughs> the more that they handle the sword, the better they are with it, because even with Arthur, the first time he held the sword when Nimue showed it to him, you know, we said that he looked a little more polished than, you know, than we expected him to. And then when he had the sword right before he went to go see Lord Ector, when he was swinging it in the hallway, I was like, whoa, like he went from good to damn, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it's the same way with Nimue, you know, when, when when she first meets Arthur and they are like play fighting that first night you can tell she doesn't know how to wield a sword. And I mean, he even like gives her some pointers. And then when she is with the wolves, like you said, she seems a little bit better, but it's still kind of like, it's almost like she's holding a foreign object in her hand. Like she has this thing and she's not quite sure how to use it, but we see that she has a, she gets a little bit more skill. And then by the time she's in the the river with the uh, paladins, it's kind of like, what Jedi training did she take? 
Right. Because she was really good with it. I mean, she comes out like you said. She came out of the she came out of the water with the sword straight through his you know straight through his neck and out of his head. It's kind of like oh, and she's turning around and she's slicing this person here. She's turning back around slicing this person. I was like, okay, so obviously the the longer they wield it or the more they wield it, the more it it influences them and gives them its power. Or it's whatever. So, yeah. Right. And also seeing all the all the refugees say when they get to Jones, like that was a lot of people. Like, holy shit. Yes, all of the, yes. When they finally get to the sanctuary, it's, uh, what is it called? Uh, Nemos. 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 Or, or also known as Lothlorien. You know, we have the Fellowship of the Sword. <laughs> they are gathering there in order to, you know, do something with the sword of power. Yeah, you know? it's it, it, it's amazing how how much, you know, when you do a, a quest type fantasy show that it just rings so much of Lord of the Rings. You just can't help it. Right. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. I, that was my first thought. I was like, oh look, it's. Lothlorien for the fade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's like everybody was here then. It, it was a kind of heartwarming when the little, little snake girl saw someone from her clan and ran to her. Yeah, that made me happy because I was like, I don't want her to be by herself. But yeah, yeah that was that was a lot of fade though. That was a, it was a lot of yeah. like just different people. Yeah. <sighs> so... All right. Well, if no one has anything else, that's it for our show. You can find us online at fandomhybrid.com. We are also on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Fandom Hybrid. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher, as well as other major podcast streaming platforms. Thanks for listening. We hope you join the conversation next time.